Well, Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for this morning, Lord, and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you've made a way, that your blood has made the way for us, Jesus, and we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for restoration. We thank you for restoring us, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you desire us. Father, that you desire us and that you long for us. And we just confess this morning, Lord, that we long for you, Lord. That we desire you, Lord. We desire you, Lord. And so we come, Lord. We come this morning, Lord, and we submit ourselves to you, Lord. And we ask you to have your way with us, Lord. Have your way in our lives and have yes, your way in our hearts, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, we long for you, Lord. Yes, Lord. We long for you, Lord. And we can't be satisfied by anything but you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come and have your way, Lord. Come and speak through Pastor Paul, Lord. Have your way, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Ushers, can I get y'all to come up and... I need y'all to come up and get the, get the money. Everybody doing good? Judah, Judah wrote that song, and boy, it just uh, brings us right into the throne room, doesn't it? So good. So glad you're here. Welcome to Church on the Hill. If this is your first time, we're so glad to have you. Today is Memorial Day, special day for us to be remembering the fallen troops, those that have died that went before us. Those that 200 years ago fought for us to have a country under God. You know, I think to what, what our troops are fighting for today, and I wonder, are they fighting for a nation that's still under God? I feel like that our nation is trying to come out from under that. And uh, I'm, I, I, don't get me wrong, um, we, are, we, we have such a need to be praying for our troops, and we have some in our church that are, that are serving right now. But we need to be praying for our nation that we continue to be a nation under God, that we do not become a nation outside of God, that if we get out from under the authority of God, we are going to be unprotected and we are going to be a sitting duck for the enemy to get us. And it's important as a church that we start praying for our nation and for our troops that we be fighting the right cause. If we're fighting for freedom, freedom from water, we're fighting for freedom for America to be free from God. And that seems like what we're trying to fight for now. And that's wrong. Everything in this nation is turning from God. And the church refuses to pray. And Scripture says, if those who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. The church is supposed to be the people that are called by his name. Memorial Day is a day of remembrance. And I thank God for those that fought for this nation to be founded as a nation under God. Now, don't get me wrong. Barack Obama is the right man for the job. God has put him there 
our authority is placed, it is put in place by God for our benefit. Did you know if I stay under authority, I have authority. If I stay under the, the authority of the kingdom of God, do you know whose authority I now have? I have Jesus' authority. He told me that I can speak in his name. But when I come out from under that authority, I can speak in his name all I want. Nothing's going to happen. We've been learning uh, on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights about honor, that if we will come under authority, we have authority. But our nation is trying to get out from authority. And they don't even know it. The job of the church is to pray. God said more than anything else. Jesus said more than anything else. This is to be a house of prayer. And the church should be praying. Church, pray for your nation. Pray that we remain a nation under God. Joy. Say joy. Where's your joy? Did you find it this morning? You have a choice when you wake up in the morning what kind of day you're going to have. Is it going to be a good day or a bad day? It's going to be a good day. But you've got to choose it. If not, everything's going to come at you to try to rob it. How are we going to approach our day? Will it be a day of joy or will it be a day of depression? Sadness. Let me tell you, today is the day, this is the day the Lord has made. Regardless of what I have to walk through, today is the day the Lord's made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You need joy. You need joy. We've seen over the last few weeks that a name of God, one of the names of God that he gave us in Psalm 43, he says, I am your exceeding joy. I am the God of exceeding joy. Do you have something to be joyful for? Let me give you one example. Let me give you one reason why you should be joyful. If you've asked Jesus into your heart, that's reason for joy. You now have a God. Jesus went to prepare a place for you. Your future is in heaven. Is that worthy of joy? Yes. When I ask Jesus into my heart, I get all of God. Regardless of whether I know who he is or not, I get him all. Follow me now. When I genuinely come to the cross, repent of my sins and ask Jesus to come into my heart and to save me. I get him all. I get Jehovah Rophi, the Lord, my healer. I get Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, uh, my provider. I get Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, my peace. I get the God of exceeding joy. That's who I get. That's who I've got in me. So if I'm not having joy, it's not God's fault. He's the God of exceeding joy. He set me up to have joy. I'm just choosing to go a different direction. Well, I'm going to start choosing joy. I don't know about you, but I'm going to start choosing joy. We've been looking at six foundations for joy. I'm not going to look at those today, but if you're if you're new today and you this kind of strikes a chord and you get the CDs or go to the website and download it. But some of you've got some situations that you're walking through that are not so happy. You might be going through some very tough things. 
just coming off of Mother's Day or even today is Memorial Day. It brings up very hurtful memories. Some of us are try having to swallow a bitter, uh, a bitter pill right now due to financial situations or physical situations or relationship. And maybe you would say, there's nothing in my life worth being joyful about. How can I be joyful when everything is wrong in my life? I'm going to give you two reasons. Number one, I can always be joyful knowing that God is in control. Once I can grasp the fact that God is in control, I can be joyful. You say, well, how is that, Pastor? Philippians 1, verse 19. Paul says, for I'm going to keep on being glad. Did you know he's in prison when he says this? I'm in prison, and I'm going to continue to be glad. Do you hear a decision being made? He is making a decision. Regardless of my circumstances, I'm going to be glad. For I know that as you pray for me and as the Holy Spirit helps me, this is all going to turn out for my good. You make all things work together for my good. To those that love him and are called to his holy purpose. They just left that part off the song. But if I love him, and if I'm seeking the purpose and plan of God, even my mistakes, even the things that come after me, the storms and the, the uh, dangers of this life that come after me will work for my good because God is in control. And he says it will work out for my good. And I believe him. It's time we start believing him. He says, I got a couple of encouragements for you here. You're praying for me. And the Holy Spirit is helping me. But here is the real issue. God sees it all. God knows it all. God cares about it all. And God is in control of it all. God will use it for my good. And God will give me the power to get through what I've got to get through. So what am I worried about? Nothing. That leaves nothing but i want you to catch this this is not what paul planned paul did not plan to go to prison that wasn't in the purpose and plan of paul do you have a purpose and plan that you've seen not quite work the purpose and plan of paul was i want to go to rome I want to fill the Colosseum and let's have us a Billy Graham crusade yet. I'm going to be the Billy Graham. We're going to pack this joint. And people are going to hear about the Lord. But that isn't what God had in mind. Paul wanted to share the love of God with the entire Roman Empire. But instead, he goes to Rome shackled with his hands and feet in chains. Put in a dungeon for, for two years under 24-hour guard support. But I'm sure he shared the love of Christ with every one of those guards. You know, they changed every four hours. If they, you know, if they turned over at all, it could have been a couple thousand guards over a two-year period. Who was the real prisoner? Paul had a captive audience. They had to sit there and listen to him. <laughs> the Bible tells us that even some of the Praetorian guards took the good news back and even... Members of Nero's own family became believers. 
That's what I'd call a chain reaction. But not only that, what did he do when he was in prison? He wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament. Have you ever thought if Paul had gotten, if, if, if the purpose and plan of Paul had been in effect, and he's out doing all these evangelistic big meetings and, you know, let's just have a, a church meeting all every night and pack the place out and people in the altar, that maybe he would have never written the New Testament? God had a plan. And God knew, Paul, it's not as important that you reach as many now. You're going to reach the world for all eternity, for all eternity of our world. But we can't see it. Can you see Paul had these big dreams? But God had dreams that Paul couldn't have comprehended. We today are able to take courage and hope, have courage and hope because of Paul's two-year experience in prison. Had he had the opportunity to evangelize to people as he saw, we may never have had that. Do you catch that? Things are so much bigger than what we can even imagine, than what we can think or imagine. God is so good. And even in Paul's worst times, in a worldly sense, were the most effective for Paul's life and for his ministry. So, if we can, number one, know that God is in control, we can, be, we can have joy, even when it appears that there is no joy, we can have joy knowing that God is in control, and number two, knowing that God will finish the chapter in your life. It says in Philippians 1, 6, And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus returns. That's what I was saying to you graduates. All we've got to do is just get inside that purpose and plan and stick to serving God, and he will finish it. It's not on you. It's not on you. What you've got to do is just be willing and then the Lord will work through you. You can't accomplish it on your own. You weren't called to accomplish it on your own. But if you will set yourself up and serve the Lord and obey him and love him, he will accomplish it through you. What you could never accomplish on your own, he will accomplish through you. We get frustrated when we don't know what God's doing in our lives. But God knows we need to start trusting him for the things that we can't see how they're going to turn out because we know what God starts. My laser pointer's not working. He finishes. This has been a morning of technical difficulties. Our TV back there is messed up too. That one's not working. Huh? Whatever. Well, I'm trying to point at finished. Finished. He will finish it. God is a finisher. How many projects have you started that you haven't finished? Ooh, I can hear the little bit of mumbling. I hear the wives talking to the husbands and the husbands talking to the wives. 
Don't elbow me. Let's talk about your issues. You start 50 and you finish two. If you're lucky. But God is a finisher. He doesn't start you on a path that he can't see the end. He knows the end. And the end is for you to finish. It says the end of a thing is better than the beginning. It's so fun to start, but it's so hard to finish. You graduates are at the starting gate. It's important that you start and you stick to it. If you will stick to it, God will finish it. You that that have graduated years ago, we have a redeeming God that says, start today and I'll finish it as though you started back then. What you think you've lost, I'll restore what the locusts have eaten. What you think you've missed out on, I'll take care of that too. I won't just fix today and from here forward. I'll fix what happened in the past. God's a restorer. He's a redeemer. He's not a, he's not a fixer. He's a completer. He doesn't fix your problems. He makes them work out to your good. Can, can, can you follow that? That's pretty deep. It may not sound deep, but he doesn't go back and fix your problems. Those problems are there. He just makes them work to your benefit. Try to try to figure that one out. Go anywhere else. Your mistakes will hurt you. Go with God. Your mistakes will help you. That's that's pretty deep. <laughs> uh, I, this may be just for me, but I, I feel like the Lord is speaking. He's the only one that can take your mistakes and make them into a positive. I'm sure somebody said that before. But nothing on this earth can do that. Everything else trying to tear you down. God says, even in your falling down, I'll make that work to your benefit. Hallelujah. We get so frustrated, but what he starts, he finishes. You may think that joy is some kind of characteristic that only naturally upbeat people get to experience. That it's a personality type, and you missed that in the gene pool. You're wrong. There are people in this world that seem to effortlessly and easily have joy all the time. And you'd say, yeah, I hate their guts. Pastor, that's a pretty hard word, but yeah, I hate them. It's like morning people. Oh, I hear the morning people. Hey, I, I don't know that I'm one of them. My wife seems to think that I'm a morning person. I don't necessarily say I'm a morning person, but I can tell you my wife is not a morning person. I got some shout outs from the non-morning people. All right. <laughs> We think that when we become a Christian, we should automatically have this joy that Jesus had or the Apostle Paul had. We can see through Paul, Paul had to make a decision. It was a decision for him to make. And to think he wasn't flesh, he was. Look at how he lived his life before he got Christ. It wasn't good. But as we look at Scripture, it's desperate to know what it means to be joyful. We discover that there are some things that we are going to have to change if we're going to experience joy. 
one of the things that has to change is our concept of God. Our belief that joy is not within our reach has to change. And our choosing of depression over joy has to change. We have to choose joy. Many of us have developed a concept of God where God and Jesus are sober and serious. Always, um, you know, just serious and and uh, mourning and sadness. You could never imagine playfulness on their part. You couldn't even imagine Jesus laughing. But today I'd hope you realize that we have an incomplete picture of God and an incomplete picture of Jesus. In the NIV translation, the, in, the, uh, in the NIV translation in the Bible, there are over 500 words that refer to happiness like joy or rejoicing or gladness or merriment, or mirth, or laughing. And in contrast, there's only about 158 references in the whole Bible that talk about sadness and mourning and tears. The Bible is a joyful book. It is a book of victory. It is a book of overcoming. It is a book of encouragement. You know... Why don't we see God on those terms? Why is our picture of God and Jesus so distorted as seeing him as sad and somber? Think about every picture that you've ever seen of Jesus. You know, I can go back to my my days at, at First Baptist Cookville. And in the Sunday school classes, there were pictures of Jesus on the cross or, you know, Jesus praying. You know, I don't know that I've ever, I don't know in my growing up, I ever saw a picture of Jesus smiling. Or there being joy. I remember the children sitting around him. There was a picture of children sitting around him. But it was always very subdued. Are, are you with me? Am I, am, I, am I on track with you? Never do we see a, a smile on the picture of the face of God. It all seems to portray Jesus in his most agonizing moments. When he's dying for us. And if we only focus on his pain we get an incomplete picture of him. And we don't understand that even in the middle of that suffering in the book of Hebrews, as he was suffering, as he went through the crucifixion, it says that he died for us for the joy that was set before him. That even in his suffering, he was joyful because of what it was going to mean for us. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus did not was not extremely, um, you know, he was in he was in uh, pain, thinking about what he was going to go through. But knowing God, your will be done, not my will, but your will be done. It said that he died for the joy that was set before him. The Bible portrays Jesus as a happy, joyful person that reflects the nature of God within him. When you think about Jesus and the way he dealt with people, his attitudes, he was joyful. Crowds followed him. Let me tell you, crowds don't follow 
depressive people. Everywhere he went, he drew a crowd. Children loved him. They flocked to him. They weren't afraid of him. And children won't hang out with people that are grumpy. Jesus went to parties. He was invited to parties. And you don't invite cranky people to parties. He just brings it down. Yet it seemed like everywhere Jesus was or the disciples were, there was a party. What does that tell you about him? It doesn't say that they're walking around all somber and sad all the time. It says they, they brought life to the party. Jesus brought life to the party. When they ran out of wine, he got, provided more wine. Fit that one into your theology. I'm not promoting wine. But we want to get so legalistic that we just shut off God altogether. We've got to operate within our own means. No. We've got this picture of God, and it's got to be this. It's even in worship. What are they? What, what, somebody's clapping in here. Somebody just shouted. What is going on in here? Let me tell you, there's going to be shouting in heaven. There's going to be trumpets blowing. There's going to be noise. I think it's going to be. I don't, I don't know that we can handle it here on earth. And that includes me. All I know is it'll be more than what I expect, not less. Are you with me? Children loved him. He got invited to parties. You may say, well, Jesus didn't ever say anything funny. Let me read you one. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Figure that one out. A camel could never go through a needle. I mean, it's not Jay Leno material. It's about to be uh, Conan. Uh, okay. Calls up on the, whatever. Okay. I, pre I appreciate the. But the people of that day understood what he was saying. It was humor that they understood. When he dealt with people, his interactions with them, sometimes you, we would think that he's mean or harsh. But the only time he ever reacted with sarcasm is when he was dealing with the religious people that felt like they didn't need God. They thought they had it all figured out. But Jesus dealing with just ordinary folks like you and me who are weak and who need him, he was gentle. I think of the times, the time when the disciples were in the boat and Jesus wasn't with them at that time. And Jesus came walking up to him and Peter Peter, we can say a lot about him, but he's the only one that stepped out of the boat, got out of the boat, was doing great. He was walking on the water until he looked down and he started to sing. And the church has been pretty hard on Peter, always saying, oh, you with little faith. He didn't have the faith. And I don't believe that's how Jesus reacted. I don't think that it had that condemnation behind it. I believe that Jesus's attitude would have been Peter. Don't you know me? I'm not going to let you drown. I'm not going to let you go. There is no condemnation. Jesus didn't bring condemnation. The church wants to turn that into, into something that it's not. 
You know, somebody can say, oh, you with little faith and mean it one way. And someone else can say it and mean it another way. Be careful how we translate scripture. Do you know Satan will translate scripture for you? Be careful. Let's look at really who Jesus is. That's why it's so important that you know him. So that when you read his word, you know his character. And he's thinking of us. He loves me and he created me and he's in it with me to the end. And he will see it through. With you, he will see it through. Jesus was a man of joy. And as I looked at his life and began to see that there was hope for me. And that he gave me permission to seek a life of joy. He is giving you permission to live a life of joy. Based on these truths of scriptures, let's look at this definition. Joy is the unshakable assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything will be all right. And the determined purpose to praise God in all things. Suddenly joy is within my reach. It means that I don't have to depend on happy circumstances or good things coming into my life or ever falling into the place before I can be happy. If you wait for that, you will never be happy. Or it will be so few and far between, you will be so beat up that you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. You have to get up and choose. Choose God and choose joy. We depend on giddiness and euphoria and all these feelings that frankly don't come often enough. When this sinks in and you begin to understand that joy is possible for you, if you will develop a conviction within you to the core, I believe God who is in control, who knows what's going on in your life, who knows your struggles, and who says, I have a plan for you, will see it to the end. It is important that we develop the belief that God never makes mistakes. And ultimately, no matter what happens, even if the worst happens to me, I win. If I develop a belief that I determine that I'm going to praise God today for the good things in my life, no matter what bad things happen, then I can experience joy. Why do you think God owes you anything? Do you feel like God owes you one more day of life? Why should you live tomorrow? On what basis? Why does he owe you one more day? Let me ask you this. What are you going to do with that day? Live selfishly or for self? Spend it on your own little pleasures? Is that why you were put here on earth? No. You were put here on earth to know God. Judah's song was all about knowing God. I want you, God. I want you. I want in your presence. I want to see your face. I want to feel your touch. Jesus, take me to the Father. Jesus came and died on this cross so that we would have that bridge back to the Father that was removed when Adam sinned. God doesn't owe us anything. We are here to fulfill his purpose and to share the love of God with people and each other. 
If you're not doing that, you are wasting your life and God doesn't owe you another day. Make your life count. You have a chance to determine your destiny. Right now, it's time to change your values in your life. Change right now the way you're going to live the rest of your life. If you will begin to yield yourself to God's purpose, get to know Jesus, live to help other people, you will have more joy than you could ever imagine. Paul was joyful no matter what because he had a purpose for living and a purpose for dying. And I want to ask you the same question that Paul says. For me to live is what? What do you fill in right there? Do you have a purpose for living? Do you have a purpose for dying? Is that purpose for living for money? We've seen in the last three, four months, there's no guarantees. You can lose what you've got in a second. Are you living for possessions? Is the goal here to acquire all that you can so that when you die, you don't take it with you? There are so many people here in this world that have so much that really, in reality, have nothing. They have nothing. They would give all that they have to have joy. And they don't know how to find it. Very puny goal. Your life is far more significant than just to retire and have fun. That is not the purpose of your life. That is a wasteful life. One day you're going to give account to God. Your life is far more valuable than fun. When we live our entire lives for the weekend and vacations and hobbies, those are all fine things, but they are not our purpose. Deep inside, I believe that you would ask, and I've asked the same thing, there's got to be more than this. You're right. You were made to know God. You were made to have a relationship with him. You were made for his purpose and were made to share the love of Christ with other people. You know, I think back to this redeeming power. And uh, it's been a pretty emotional day for me today with, um, you know, we've had uh, four graduates. um, And um, I'm not trying to be disrespectful of any of the others, but I'm tightly connected to one. And it's my nephew, Judah. Um, And uh, Judah, I was even reflecting this morning that first week you came in to work with me on guitar. And I, I just see the purpose and plan of God that he had over your life. But what happened to me this morning in first service is during during worship. In looking, looking at Judah and what he has done over the last few years and our worship team and how our worship team, these youth, it's really just not Judah, it's the entire youth. Um, I'm seeing I'm seeing fruit and I'm seeing power coming from some of these younger ones that are just deciding, you know what, we're going after God. We're going to have Bible study. We're going to allow God's word to work it word to work in us. And we're going to start encouraging one another. And we've we've got revival happening in a small group of our youth right now. And I was looking at Judah and thinking about how how good he's doing. And um, I started thinking about me at that age. And I was saved at five. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at 17. But I never, I never talked about it. I never let anybody know it. And Judah has made it cool to be a jock, to be an athlete. And not just to be a Christian, but to be an into, have an intimate relationship with God. In the workplace for adults, that's not cool. 
we hold that stuff in when we get up every morning. And we never let people see it. Now, there are people here in this church that don't live that way, that, that really do try to, try to let, their, let their relationship be known. But, uh, you know, I just, I started almost weeping and just praying to God, you know, I'm sorry. I had that same opportunity and I didn't take it. I didn't want to take it. The great thing is that regardless of what I did then, God is a redeemer. And what you've walked in here with, I know that you're, you're probably trying to feel a little guilty, and I'm not trying to bring guilt on you. What I'm trying to tell you is you start walking today, and God will redeem your past. He won't just redeem your past, but he'll take care of the future. And the things that you thought you would have accomplished by now, you will still, you will still I don't know that you'll accomplish those things you were thinking, but you'll accomplish everything that you were purposed to accomplish. Even if you had started with him from day one. The purpose and plan of God can still be achieved in your life regardless of how much you've screwed it up up till now. And that's where that's where we were singing that song. Uh, um, you know, you stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. And when the storm comes, your joy is there in the morning. And what the Lord started saying is to me, I forgive you. I forgive you. But Paul, you're serving me. And everything that you thought you needed to accomplish, I'm still going to accomplish in you. And that's what the Lord's saying to you. Regardless of how you've messed it up up till now, if you'll get on board with me right now, I'll still accomplish everything that I had intended to accomplish in you. You will not miss one thing. Amen. That's where my my heart is for me and my family, but for this church. Is that we really grab hold of God. I said this morning, we are not here to, to compete with other churches and to have better worship and to have more people and to have more things going on. And this is the church to be at. Baloney. We are here to serve and to worship and to love God. And let the results be on Him. Not on us, not on some big advertising. You see these, these things. Pastor Stephen's done such a great job with our marketing and with these new signs that are on the building. But you know what? Those are just, those aren't, those aren't, those are good. But if you will get into the purpose and plan of God, then God starts doing what He wants in the church. It has nothing to do with whether we have an ad in the newspaper or have cool cool radio or we're on iTunes. And, you know, it's all well and good. We're going to continue to do it. But my key is, my for my life, my heart's got to be right and I've got to be pursuing God and let him work out all the other details. I want a big church. I want us full. I want the Holy Spirit flowing. I want to see hands being laid and people being healed and people getting out of wheelchairs. But what I really want to see is your heart turn to God. Pastor, that sounds all well and good. I don't really care how you think it looks on my side. That's where my heart is. I think God is turning me to say, forget all this other stuff. The church needs to give their heart to me. 
then it all comes. We don't have to go looking for the blessing. Do you know Revelation says the blessing will come and find you and overtake you. You don't have to go looking for it. I would ask you today, pray that prayer. God, use me. Use me. Use me. I have given my heart to you as a child or as an adult or 10 years ago, but I've taken it back. Let me give you my whole heart. And that's what I want to say again today to God with me. Lord, I, I keep, I, you know, we just try to pull it back. I want control. I want to handle my stuff. And I have to continually come back and say, no, here it is. Here it is. Would you give? Now we're, I would say that probably most of us here have given our hearts to the Lord at some point. But would you give it to him again? Would you give it to him again? And start trying to take that first step. God will set forth the next step for you. You're worried about your future. Quit worrying about your future and take the step today. One step. Take one step toward the Lord and he'll provide the next one. And then you've got to take it. Then he'll provide the next one. And then you've got to take it. And then we start in the purpose and plan of God. Father, I just thank you for this morning. And Lord, I do just pray for joy over this body. And Lord, I ask that even in my emotionalism, Lord, that your message would be heard. And Lord, that we would see that regardless of how much we've messed it up, that you are ready and able to take us, to restore us, to kill the calf and to have a party. Lord, and everything that we've messed up that you make for our good. Lord, I just plead the blood of Jesus over Church on the Hill, and I just give thanks to you. And Lord, I ask you, Lord, that the, your purpose and plan for Church on the Hill be done. And Lord, Lord, that's not that's not the building. That is in you, church. Lord, I ask that we would give our hearts to you again. If there are those here that have never given their heart to Jesus that first time, I would encourage you right now, give your heart to Jesus. Pastor, I don't know how. I've been messing up so much, and I don't know how. It's just as simple as saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. And I am in need of a Savior. I can't do this on my own anymore, and I don't want to do it. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that God raised you from the dead. Scripture says that if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that he was raised, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Would you do that today? Those that, those that desire to give their heart to the Lord again, I just want to ask you, give it to him. Just say under your breath, or even if you just whisper it, or even if you shout it, Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my heart. Would y'all stand with me? Would those that are ministering come forward? If you need prayer for any reason, if you've given your heart to Jesus and you want somebody to pray with you, if you've got any need whatsoever, whether it's financial or whether it's physical or mental or relationship or marriage, step out in faith and let us pray for you. God is still a healer. His word says he never changes. And I believe until we have no need for healing, that, that I, I, I just believe that God is still as much a healer as he was back in the day of Moses and back in the day of Abraham. Thank you, Lord. Would you step out this morning?